Thanks, Tracy. Thank you, Wayne. It was Christmas time in 1863. Uh, the journal entries of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow were being imprinted in his heart. Perhaps you've heard some of these words. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat, a peace on earth, goodwill to men. But those images were being tarnished by loss in his life. The death of his wife and the crippling of his son in the Civil War had left him, well, let's just say he wasn't feeling much peace at that particular time. And in despair, he wrote, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song. A peace on earth, goodwill to men. It wasn't supposed to be this way. For so many, the words like Happy Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas, almost seem like a contradiction in terms. The Christmas season is designed to be a happy time. There's parties and food and presents and snow and food and presents and children and food and presents. Sometimes bad things happen. And we wonder where God went. The Apostle John is a, is a prisoner in exile on the island of Patmos. He's in exile at the hands of a, of a cruel Roman emperor who's just quite simply nuts. Thinks he's God. John was there when Jesus showed up. It was almost 60 years prior that Jesus had said, follow me. But it was three years after that that John beat Peter to the tomb and walked into an empty tomb and wondered in that moment, where did God go? Sometimes bad things happen. What about you? Satan loves to use things that happen to us in our lives to mess us up. It could be a job that doesn't work out like we'd hoped or a marriage or a friendship The bad thing might not even have anything to do with us, but it still hits so close to home. A friend, a parent, a child. There's something you need to know if you don't already know this about preachers. Um, Our goal is not to come in here and come down on you from on high and tell you how to fix things. Because oftentimes when we dive into the word, this word kind of rightly divides us before it ever divides you. When we read these texts, when we, when we study these things, it, we walk with you in this, in this battle. And, and I come today with questions, probably more than answers. But there is hope in the midst of the questions. My mom died in 2015, and it it felt like, in many ways, my my family died with her. I I used to love this time of year. As Thanksgiving approached, I I grew so excited about the time between Thanksgiving and Christmas. It was a chance to kind of reset my life, if you know know what I mean. 
uh, to, to gather at mom's house with brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews and cousins I hadn't seen in so long. But when mom died, we kind of stopped doing that. First it was a little bit, now it's pretty much not at all. And if I can be honest with you for a moment, I spend more time struggling at the holidays than I do celebrating them. And I want you to know that what I'm about to share with you is not something that I'm coming at you from on high. This is something that I'm walking through. And I, and I just wonder if some of you are walking through the same thing yourselves. I mean, you know that just because God saved you, that doesn't mean that there won't be any problems. You know that, all right? You, you know it. But it doesn't make things any easier when the problems come. As a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say pain beats logic every time. We know what the truth is. But yet when we're confronted with the issue in front of us, oftentimes that knowledge of the truth that we have takes a back seat to the feeling and the emotion of the pain we're dealing with right now. I know the truth. But it doesn't change the fact that sometimes there is no peace on earth for me. I think Satan knows where he wants the bad things in our lives to lead. He wants those circumstances to bring us to the point of sadness, of despair. He wants us to give up. Because he knows that the kingdom can never be advanced by defeated people. So to this challenge, we enter Revelation, where John brings us a different idea. You see, John comes to the book of Revelation with a plan. He wants to turn sadness into singing. To quote one of my favorite professors in Bible college, he wants to turn despair into doxology. John To the seven churches of the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests, to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. How do you turn sadness into singing? How do you turn despair into doxology? I remember it was one Christmas when I was, I was struggling in the church where I was serving and going through a lot of rough times with the folks. And, and I just remember Christmas time just, just, just weeping for my people and the struggles that they were facing. And a buddy of mine who I went to high school youth group with said, hey, Tracy, why don't you guys, we're getting a youth group reunion together. We're going to come to my house and we're going to eat and have a good old time and just talk about the old days. And my wife and I joined him, and it was a lot of fun. It was so enjoyable. And while we were there, he said, hey, I found this old video. I thought it would be fun if we watched it. And he stuck this old VHS tape into the video player, and the video started playing of our mission trip to Mexico. Now, 
you have to understand something. There was a lot about that video that was just amazing and incredible. Number one, I weighed 156 pounds when that video was shot. My left leg weighs 156 pounds now. Times have definitely changed. But I'll tell you what was cool about the video. I'm watching it and I'm remembering that mission trip is where I got baptized. That mission trip was where I got baptized in a pila, an irrigation tank in a farmer's field in Mexico. I remember it like it was yesterday. I got dysentery from the water. I got sick. But you'll never forget, will you? And the video came up. I didn't know there was a video. I had no clue that someone was walking around with a camera. This was the late 1980s. Who had cameras? I didn't know. And there's the video. There's the irrigation tank. There is me, 156-pound me, and my youth minister baptizing me in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, dead to sin, alive in Christ. How do we turn despair into doxology? How do we turn sadness into singing? I think John gives us the answer. He tells us that we need to take a fresh look. We need a fresh look at God who was and who is and who is to come. He has dealt with our past. He walks with us in our present and he shows us his future for us. Circumstances are so often about the past, what happened, and the present, what is happening. And so many of those things affect us in powerful ways. We look back on the past of what happened and we mourn and we regret. And we look at the situation that's in front of us here at this moment, the situation we live in right now, and we realize the struggle, and it makes us afraid, and it makes us weep as to what we're dealing with right now. But John saves the best for last. My God is not simply a God who was. My God is not simply a God who is. My God is a God who is to come. The book of Revelation is sometimes hard to understand. But you know what? It's pretty simple to explain. I remember an old elder in my church said, I can explain Revelation in two words. He wins. And because he wins, then we win too. And no circumstance that you are going through in your life will change that fact. How does Romans 8 put it? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither height nor depth, nor any future, present or future, nor any powers or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He has won. So how do you go from sadness to singing? You get a fresh look at Jesus. Look how Jesus is described in our text. He's called the faithful witness. Faithful means sometimes bad things happen. 
And when bad things happen, you ever wonder where God went? The Bible tells us Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Jesus didn't abandon us. He joined us at the most fundamental of levels. He became just like you. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And he became not just faithful, but became a witness. The Greek word for witness is martyr. Maybe you've heard that word. Jesus is a faithful witness, faithful even to death. And even being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I love the poem, Let the Sable Still Astonish by Leslie Fields, where she says, let the stable still astonish. Straw dirt floor, dull eyes, dusty flanks of donkeys, oxen, crumbling crooked walls, no bed to carry that pain. And then the child, rag wrapped, laid to cry in a trough. Who would have chosen this? Who would have said, yes, let the God of all the heavens and earth be born here in this place? Who but the same God who stands in the darker, fouler rooms of our hearts and says, yes, let the God of heaven and earth be born here in this place. Do you know where my God went? My God went right here. He's also the firstborn from the dead. You know, the Bible tells us that the resurrection of the dead doesn't stop with Jesus. On the other hand, it starts. We know the truth. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And why does Paul tell the church at Thessalonica these things? Because of the last part of that phrase, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus was sent to Patmos by the emperor Domitian. He was actually historically, just a little side note, he was the first one that demanded Christians call him both Lord and God. That's the title he wanted from us. We understand this. In John chapter 12, Jesus calls Satan the prince of this world. And to all of those who claim to be rulers, Dominion or Domitian or Satan or Herod or Pharaoh or take your pick, John introduces them to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the Lord of all. How do you go from sadness to singing? How do you go from despair to doxology? You get a fresh look at God. You get a fresh look at Jesus. And you get a fresh look 
at yourself. What he says next. To him who loves us. See that up there? To him who what? To him who what? I know an S when I see one. Don't you? There's no D there. A couple translations of the scripture translate this with a D, to him who loved us. That's, that's really a dirt poor translation. To him who loves us. Didn't say loved. As in, you might have been convinced that God loved you once before your world fell apart or before you committed that same sin one more time. It doesn't say he will love you, as in you might be convinced that God will love you once you get your life straightened out and fix all of your problems. It's hard to avoid the lie of Satan, isn't it? God doesn't love us as much when we do bad or when things get bad. But here's the truth. Your circumstances do not change God's love for you. He could not possibly love you any more than he does right now. To him who loves us and has freed us. That is a D. That's past tense. Once for all, that's done. The freedom is here. From our sins, (laughs) by what? From our sins to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins. What? By his blood. I was working at a yard sale in Murfreesboro. My daughter was about three years old. Um, It's a hot day, I remember. Just miserably hot. And as, as we were working the yard sale, all of a sudden I see my wife's little Ford Escort station wagon pull right into the middle of the tables from the yard sale. I mean, right into the middle of them. Um, My first thought was, she's lost her mind. I go over to the car and I see my daughter in the back seat in her seat strapped in, covered in blood. She had fallen and hit her head and was bleeding profusely. And you parents know when your kid bleeds from the head, they just bleed. And it's so funny because she fell at Walmart and she drove to where the yard sale was, passing the hospital on the way to come see me. And my first question to her was, why didn't you just stop at the hospital? And my wife said, I don't know. I said, move over. (laughs) I got in the car and we drove my daughter to the hospital and I, I carried her in and set her on the table and they cleaned her up and said, we're going to have to put some stitches in her head. And they wrapped her up in swaddling clothes. They swallowed her in a blanket so she wouldn't argue with them. And I remember, I, I remember the voice that came from my daughter sounded like something from The Exorcist. And this, this low, uh, she was not a happy person. But I also remember sitting there and then putting stitches, three stitches, That's it. But in that moment, I would have changed places with her in a heartbeat. You know what I mean? 
I um. Look, guys, I love you. I, I, I wouldn't drive two hours to the Quad Cities on a Sunday morning if I didn't care about what happens to you. But I'm not trading my daughter's blood for any of yours. You hear me? If it comes right down to the difference between my daughter and you, good luck. I think you know what I'm talking about. Do you understand what my God did? What he did for you? He chose the blood of his own son. And he gave it to me. And he gave it to you. And it's that blood that has freed us. We mess up our pretty little white clothes with sin and Jesus' blood covers and cleans those stains and makes us whiter than snow and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. The kingdom will never be advanced by defeated people. However, it will be advanced by victorious people. If there's a theme that runs through Revelation, it is this. To the one who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. To the one who overcomes, he will not be hurt at all by the second death. To the one who overcomes and does my will at the end, I will give authority over the nations. I have a seat at the royal banquet. I have a place in the royal court. And as a child of God, so do you. You are a prince or princess in his mighty kingdom. And you are more than that. You are what Peter calls a royal priesthood. What does a priest do? A priest goes between men and God. He facilitates bringing the two of them together. I know that holiday times might seem anything like merry or happy. But hear me on this. You are needed. The battle is on our doorstep. After my mom died, I found it difficult to do this thing we call church. I caught myself getting angry at people. Of withholding grace from others from whom I used to give it so freely. And then someone a lot smarter than me told me this. The medicine for sadness is a call To be who the Lord created us to be. And to do what he created us to do. And I will tell you what I have found. And I will also tell you I am still walking this path. I'm not on the other side yet. I'm in the middle of the road. But the more I love others in Jesus name. I don't know how it works. But the more I love others in Jesus name the more he heals my heart. Let's finish where we began. John, to the seven churches of the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and is to come. 
and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And then he begins to sing. Now, I am I find songs absolutely fascinating. You can learn so much from a song. Did you realize that a small town girl living in a lonely world And a city boy, born and raised in South Detroit, can take the same midnight train going anywhere. Did you know that? Songs teach you so many different things. I love what John's song teaches us. I know it's a song because it's in quotes in my text. It's a hymn. After John says this, after he talks about getting a fresh look at God, after he talks about getting a fresh look at Jesus, after he talks about getting a fresh look at ourselves, he bursts into song. And look what he sings. Look! He's coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Are you sad? Come to the manger. Come get a fresh look at the God who holds your future in his tiny hands. Come get a fresh look at Jesus who loves you and gave you everything he had to bring you home. And come get a fresh look at yourself. You are an heir in his holy court. You are a priest with a purpose and a vital mission. If I'm going to quote Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, I need to finish the quote. Because something inside Wadsworth Longfellow knew the truth that Christmas Day in 1863, the real source of peace and the key to singing in the sadness. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men.